So I know for a fact that amongst us here are a few, like me, Star Wars fans. Yes. Yes. Amen. Yeah. And you're probably all aware that Disney Plus released a new TV series, Mandalorian. Which all of us excited about. I absolutely love it. Looking forward to watching it. But there's a reason why I'm talking about the Mandalorian. Don't worry. Not just giving a Disney a free plug-in. One thing I do love about Mandalorian is that the race of Mandalorian. You're not necessarily born into it. You're almost like grafted into it from the outside. So it means that you're not actually, you know, Mandalorian by birth. Just like we are not Christians by birth, we are grafted in to Christ like that. But more importantly is there's one word or one phrase you hear repeated numerous times over the seasons. And I see a few people on the back there mouthing it to me. And that is the way. This is the way. And you hear it said a lot. You hear it when Mandalorian is asked, given a task, saying you've got to do this task. And he's like, why? Why have I got to do this? Well, I'm like, it makes no sense. And they're like, it is the way. And he's like, okay, fine, this is the way. Well, people ask him, like, why are you doing it like that for? Why do you never take your mask off? Why? He's like, it is the way. He's like, this is the way I've got to live. This is the way I've got to do it. It makes me realize that he has a way, he has a creed, he has a life, an example to follow. And we, too, have a way. We find that in Psalm 119, what we starting with today. But as well as that, the early church was also called the way. In Acts 18, verse 26, Priscilla and Aquila updating um, Apollos. And what do they uh, teach them about? The way of God. That's what it says. In Acts 19, verse 9, Paul experienced people speaking evil of the way. Not speaking evil of Christians, but speaking evil of people of the way. And then you've got uh, Acts 19, a bit further along, verse 21 to 23, you got a great commotion being stirred up, and the reason being given because of great commotion is because of the way. And lastly, in Acts 22, verse 3 to 4, Paul re-encountering his conversion, he says how he didn't persecute the church or Christians, he persecuted the way. So we, the church, are the way. And we have a way, and his name is Jesus. What about creed? Do we have a creed? What is a creed? Creed is essentially that what you believe in. Every major religion and cult would have a creed, and we do have a creed as well. Romans 10.9 is a part of our creed, uh, which says, But if you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. How much more of a creed do we need than that? John 1 verse 1 to 3. In the beginning was the word, the word was God, and the word was with God. And, uh, and all things were made through him and without him. Nothing was made that was made. Our creed. What about life? We have a life. Jesus is our life. For to me to live is, uh, is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. Christ is the life what we live. And Paul, once again, in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, he said, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. We have a way, we have a creed, and we have a life. But as I said already, 
the way. It's the way which we'll be looking at today. Because that is the, what Psalm 119 is essentially all about, is the way. Because if you remember months and months ago when we first looked at Psalm 119, all the way back in verse 9, we're given a question, a very important question. How can a young man cleanse his way? Or how can we as believers cleanse our way? And we looked quite heavily at that time about how it's not talking about salvation. Salvation is already done for us. It's already been completed. It was completed at the cross. This isn't talking about our previous sins we've already committed. This is talking about the life that's set before us, our path that's set before us, our way that's set before us. How do we cleanse the way, our life, that is set before us? And that is the question posed there in verse 9. And incidentally, verse 9 also gives us the very simple answer. It says there, by taking heed according to your word, or being a doer of your word. So that's verse 9 of Psalm 119. There is about 160 odd more verses to go. What are we all talking about? We're all exploring the answer according to your word. That's what the rest of Psalm 119 is all about, exploring that answer. And we've already looked before us in uh, verses uh, 9 to 16, which was the way of a new disciple. We already looked at verses 17 to 24, which was kind of like a, a way in distress and despair. And today we will be looking at uh, verse 25 down to verse 32. So let's read that part of scripture, which says, My soul cleans to the dust, revive me according to your word. I have declared my ways, and you answered me. Teach me your statutes, make me understand the way of your precepts. So shall I meditate on your wonderful works. My soul mounts from heaviness, strengthen me according to your word. Remove from me the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord, and do not put, for, uh, put me to shame. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the truth found in this wonderful psalm. And Lord, there are some difficult and harsh truths to go through in this psalm. But may we just be open to hear what your word's got to say to us, Lord, as we need to take heed to what your word says. Because as we take heed to what your word says, we start to cleanse our way before you. And we live lives that are honouring and pleasing and glorifying to you. Amen. Amen. So we start off with my soul cleanse to dust. You ever tried to cleanse to dust? Anyone give it a try? <laughs> you don't. Dust cleans to you. And I've worked in lots of places where there's tons of dust. Not necessarily just dust around the house. I'm talking about stone dust, brick dust, just dirt dust. And whenever I'm working in around it, it just cleans to me, gives me a shower. I'm just caked in it. And it just gets down in your grey cracks and in your hair. And you just like, you feel minning. You really do. And you just want to get home and have a shower. Dust you don't cling to it, it clings to you. And imagine that you're standing or at an edge of a cliff or big drop. You've got a 100-meter drop down below you, and all you can cling on to 
It's dust. Imagine that. You're there going, and the thing is, is if you've got dust only to cling on to, which has got no substance, nothing real to it, it's just dust, you've got no hope. You're going to fall down and perish down that big drop. Sounds graphic, but that's pretty much what is being said here. My soul clings to dust. But to get the full grasp of what's really being spoken here, we kind of need to go back to creation itself. In Genesis 2.7, what does it say? It says, As in the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. We are formed of dust. It, so basically the dust is more or less a symbol of our natural state without God. Because look at verse 7 again in Genesis 2. It says, The Lord God formed man of dust of the ground, and then what? Breathed into his nostrils, and the breath of life became a living being. We would have just remained dust, dead bodies. It wasn't for God breathing life into us. So when it says here about clinging on to dust, it's more like clinging on to that natural state that we are without God. Uh, look at Genesis 3, verse 19. In the curse, God said, In the sweat of face you shall eat bread till you turn to the ground. For out of it you're taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. These dust bodies will return back to the dust ground. Because notice, it's the dust body not the soul, the spirit. The soul and the spirit, that's what lives on through to eternity. But it's a dust body that returns back to the ground. This corruptible dust body will return back to the ground, but our soul shall live on forever. And sadly, there are lots of dead dust bodies out there today who do not know God. And we'll face that spiritual eternity without God in heaven. So back here, clinging on to dust. This person is looking at their life, seeing the sin and the mess what they're in, and feeling distance between them and God. And all they can feel is that they're just going to perish. Perish because they're just so without hope. Just like if you imagine on that cliff edge, hanging on, and all you've got is dust, you've got no hope. That's how the psalmist is feeling here. He's feeling hopeless. He feels like he's got nothing of great value to hold on to. And if you're living for your flesh, for this world, what are you clinging on to? Only that which is passing away. Nothing eternal. And interestingly, clinging, once again, appears in Genesis. In the beginning, Genesis 2.24, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined. It's the exact same Hebrew word, joined, cling to his wife, and they shall become one. So in verse 24 of Genesis, the word is saying that the two will be literally joined, uh, knitted together, stuck together. So the psalmist here is saying that his soul is stuck together to that natural state, almost a natural state without God. 
so he's looking at his desperate, depressed, hopeless state, and he cries out. And he cries out with a loud voice. What does he cry out? Revive me. Revive me according to your word. And what is the one place we can find that hope? That this psalmist is lacking great. We can only truly find that hope in the word of God. Because only God can give us that breath of life. Look back at Genesis 2, 7. What does it say? And God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became living. It is only God breathed. And you're thinking, well, if God can provide that breath, where does the word of God come into it? Well, remember that line, God breathed. Think of Gen- uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 16, where it says all uh, scriptures given by inspiration of God. And that word there in the Greek inspiration is literally breathed. God breathed scripture. So if God's breath brought Adam from dead dust body to life, God's scripture, or the Holy Word, is God's breath, his breath, his word. So revive me according to your word, your breath, God. And there are many other uh, wonderful truths about being revived according to God's word. In Psalm 71, verse 19 to 21, it says, Also your righteousness, O God, is very high. You have done great things. O God, who is like you, you have shown me great and severe troubles. You shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. He's saying no matter what troubles I go through in this life, no matter what depths of despair, I dive to in the matter of the severity of the troubles the Lord God shall revive me according to his word Psalm 80 verse 18 19 then we shall not turn back from you revive us and we will call upon your name restore us O Lord God of hosts cause your face to shine upon us and we shall be saved restore us it's the same word or same idea restore us O Lord Cause your face to shine upon us. How beautiful is that? And what does it say? I hope we'll be saved. We may be saved. Let's see if we are saved. No. We shall be saved. We shall be saved. And later on in Psalm 119, we'll eventually get there in a few years probably. (laughs) Verse 154 and 156. They say, plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Then Psalm 156, or verse 156. Great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your judgments. Two verses in the psalm that says that we were brought back to life through God's word. And why God's word? In Hebrews 4, 12, we've already looked at it with Kev, Pastor Kevin. For God's word is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and joints of marrow is discern of the thoughts and intents of the heart because his word is the only living and powerful word piercing word of truth that pierces right through to our core we already mentioned again but let's just take a look at 2 Timothy 2 16 
where it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. What's it profitable for? It's profitable for doctrine. It's what teaches us what we need to learn. For reproof, it's profitable to show us where we're going wrong. For correction, how to get right, how to get right with God. Essentially, that's a gospel message right there. And <clears throat> instruction in righteousness to show us how to live rightly. And what's the result? In verse 17 of 2 Timothy 2, that the man of God may be complete and fully equipped for every good work. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and is profitable for uh, what we believe, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, for reviving us, to revive us, to give us the life we need. And the idea of reviving according to scriptures actually kind of goes a bit deeper still. Once again, back to Psalm 119, verse 88 this time. Revive me according to your loving kindness. It's not just God's word. It's his loving kindness that revives us. God didn't have to revive us. He chose to revive us because he loves us. Romans 8, 11 by the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life. We will restore to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And the word give life is that same idea as restoring. So the Holy Spirit who dwells in us is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. That gives us life. As it gave Jesus life, it gives us life. 1 Peter 2, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. We've been put to death according to the flesh, but made alive according to the spirit. We no longer cling to dust. The psalmist was saying he's clinging to dust, but we who are in Christ no longer do cling to dust. We're made alive by Christ. And lastly, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-given spirit. Life-given. Amen. The work of the spirit. When we are revived according to God's word, there also needs to be that work of the Holy Spirit. Unless the Holy Spirit does that work in through us, Unless the Holy Spirit, uh, and it is, the only, it is only the Holy Spirit who can do that work of reviving us. And you can only have the Holy Spirit in your life if you're a child of God. And you can only be a child of God if you first declared your ways to him. We need that work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to convict us, to show us the truth of God's word. And then... We can only become that child of God once we have declared our ways. And what I mean by declaring our ways, look at verse 26 back in Psalm 119. I've declared my ways and you answered me. Session, in essence, when I say declaring our ways, confession. Yeah. We're confessing our ways. We're confessing our life. We're confessing our sins to God. So when we confess, it says he hears us. What do you reckon he does when he hears us? Like he laughs, 
He does nothing, just pats on the back and says, oh, I hope it goes right for you. Thanks for confessing your sins. No. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say when we confess our sins? 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we declare our ways to God, confess our sins, he will forgive us. Amen. Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If we confess our sins, we are forgiven. We are justified as if we never sinned. What's the result? My soul, that used to cling to dust, I have now declared my ways. I have now confessed my sins and I've been answered by God. And he answered me, forgiven. He answered me, justified. Because of our confession and his faithfulness, we are saved from his wrath. I have declared my ways. Quite a challenge. Declared my ways. If you were to declare your ways today, what would you say? That's a question. What would you say? What would your report be? Would it be a good report with no problems, saying, yeah, life is great, no issues, life is all dandy? Or would it be a report of saying, you know what, i got struggles, risk sin, i got issues, but yet I'm living for Christ. Or would your report be, I've got life struggles, I've got sin in me, and I'm more or less living for my flesh? Or would it be, I'm just living for whatever makes me feel good? What would your report be? What would your report be if you declared your ways? Another question would be, how, if you declared your ways this morning to God, how would God answer you? It says here, you've de- I've declared my ways and you answered me. Now that's an even scarier one. If you declared your ways, what would God say back? Would he say, well done, my good and faithful servant, as mentioned in Matthew 25, verse 23? Or would he say, you've been, been faithful in little things, greater things are entrusted to you? Once again, in Matthew 25, verse 23. Or, in Matthew 25, verse 3, would he say, cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. It's a harsh, strong warning. Warning. He gets even worse in Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23, which says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast demons out in your name and done many wonders in your name? Then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me who practice lawlessness. It's a scary thought. But what would the Lord say in response if you were to declare your ways? Personally, I would love to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. But at times I know I've not always been a good and profitable servant. But praise the Lord, he's always been faithful to forgive me when I've confessed my sins before him. If we confess our sins before him today, he will be faithful and just to forgive us. And those warnings, we won't have to worry about them because our lives are hidden in Christ. And we have that security of salvation through him. And going back to how would you declare your way if you were to declare it today? I 
we're definitely declared that I've got faults, issues and sins, but I'm living for Christ. Because at the end of the day, that's exactly what Paul declared. In 1 Timothy verse, uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 15, he declared, I am the chief of sinners. But yet he was also able to declare in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We are sinners by nature, but yet we are living for Christ and becoming more Christ-like. And essentially that's what a Christian means, is to become more like Christ. I have declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Teach me. I've been washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. My soul no longer clings to dust by securing Christ. Teach me your truths. Teach me your law. Teach me your commandments. Teach me your statutes and your precepts, O Lord. Teach me the works and teach me your holy word, O Lord. Teach me. And may your holy word, O Lord, be engraved on my heart. And show me the right way to live, Lord. That I may no longer be clinging on to dust, but clinging on to you, Lord. I've declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. Notice he said, teach first and then understand. You can't understand something and then be taught it. You have to be taught it first. You have to be taught the word of God first before you can understand it. You have to be teachable first. Because you have to be teachable first because you need the Holy Spirit first to do that work in you as well. In 1 Corinthians 2, 13, 14, it says about how the natural man does not understand the ways of the word, uh, the Lord and nor can discern the spiritual things because he is spiritually discerned. We need that work of the Holy Spirit in our lives first to convict us, to teach us of his word. Because man's wisdom can't teach you the way of God. Only the Holy Spirit can teach you his word. And once you've been taught his word, you can understand his word. And then the natural progression is, so shall I meditate on your wonderful works. But interestingly, this word, meditation, is actually um, the word saying speak. So if you had a old King James, it would say, teach, teach me. Um, sorry, speak, let me speak of your words. And in this actual word here, in uh, verse 27, is used a few times elsewhere. Um, it's used in First Chronicles 16, verse 9, which says, Sing to him, sing psalms to him, talk of his wonderful works. It's the exact same word, talk. Psalm 77, verse 12, which says, I will also meditate on your work and talk of your deeds. Uh, Proverbs 6, uh, verse 20 to 22. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them, continue upon your heart, tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. Here, three times, the exact same word is what we find in verse 27, which here in our most of ours would translate as meditate 
is actually elsewhere medi- uh, translated speak. So the idea here is that we get taught the word of God, we understand the word of God, and then we speak the word of God. We share the word of God. And if you feel like you've got nothing to add or to bring to the table to be able to speak God's word, perhaps maybe you feel like, how can I share and speak God's word? I, I don't know enough. You probably think that, you know, you guys, you know more. I don't know much. Well, the answer is quite simple. We can all increase our knowledge in the word of God. You need free tools to increase your knowledge of the word of God. You need a Bible as the first key part. Second key thing is you need the Holy Spirit. And we all got that. We all got those two things. And the third is a heart's desire to grow. That's what, if you've got a heart's desire to grow and the Bible and the Holy Spirit, you will increase in knowledge. As you read, study, meditate, hear God's be- word being taught to you and you surround your life and your mind with God's word, your knowledge of God's word will naturally increase. And if you think you haven't got enough to share and speak up about God's word, if you know enough to be saved, you know enough to share God's word. I suppose it begs the question, well, what's stopping us from sharing and speaking God's word? Is it fear, doubt, lack of confidence, sin? Sin could be a big issue in our lives it was certainly a big issue for this psalmist in verse 28 my soul mounts from heaviness strengthen me according to your word the psalmist had a heavy heart first he was clinging on to dust had no hope and now he's pretty much lost all hope his soul his soul his life force that inward uh, part of him which once was clinging to that dust, it's now mounted. It's now kind of gone through the gaps. It's been pulled out, out of him. He's now just in complete despair of his life situation and circumstances of his own sin. But yet, the psalmist, he's seen his choice. You see there in verse 28, my soul mounts from heaviness. And the choice here is strengthen me according to your word. The choice is, do you stay in that despair? Do you stay in that pit of hopelessness? Do you stay clinging on to dust, at which point your soul will just completely melt and give way? Or do you then turn to the Lord and cry out to him and say, strengthen me, but strengthen me according to your word, O Lord you may be wondering, well, how on earth can God's word strengthen me? How can God's word help me? My problem isn't even in God's word. I've looked in it, and I can't see my special, specific problem in God's word. But yet, the answer is in God's word. You just need to look, be taught it, and understand it. It can change our hearts. It can change our minds. It can strengthen us. You look at the most, one of the most sad and depressing books of the Bible, Lamentations. Lamentations 3, 22 to 26. It says, Though the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not, they are new 
every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. As I said, lamentations. It's Jeremiah pouring his heart out after his city's just been taken. He's got no hope left, Jeremiah. He's in complete despair, but yet he can say, Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. If we search the scriptures, we can find that hope, what we need. We can find that joy we need. And the happier book of the Bible, the Psalms. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far as we moved our transgressions from us. This is one of my favorite Psalms. Whenever you're thinking, it's like, gosh, how can I be forgiven of this sin? This sin which is so weighing me down, hindering me, keeping, preventing me. But yet knowing that when we confess it, God has removed it as far as the east is from the west. And when you look at the two, how far away is the most westerly point from the most easterly point? How can you measure them? You can't. They're infinitely apart from each other. You head west, you're never going to start heading east. You're always going to be heading in a westerly direction. You turn around, you have west behind you. The furthest westerly point behind you is still infinitely that way. And the furthest easterly point is still infinitely ahead of you. God has infinitely removed our sins from us. It doesn't matter how much we sin, how far we go in this life. If we confess our sins, he will be faithful and just to forgive us because if faithfulness to forgive us knows no bounds. It is limitless. Even Job, you think of Job in chapter 1, verse 21. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't know anyone here who's lost as much as Job. You think about all his possessions he lost. Yeah, a great deal, but he lost seven sons and three daughters. As a parent, you just don't want to go there, do you? You don't want to think about the heartache it must be to lose a child, but to lose seven of them and three daughters. That's going to be hard-hitting. But yet Job still had it within him to say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, it doesn't matter what problem you have. It may not be specific in the Bible, but yet the Bible just speaks about the, uh, the struggles, what we all go through in life, and you can always find that hope and security in the Bible. The Bible can always speak into whatever issues or problems what we're going through. And one of the biggest issues what we have in our life is in verse 29. Verse 29 says, remove from me the way of lying. Notice it doesn't say remove me from the way of lying. It says remove from me the way of lying. As in we've all got us in us the way of lying. You may be thinking, well, what's a big deal of lying? What's a big deal of lying? I'm like, you got you tell lies sometimes to keep someone's feelings good, not to make them unhappy. Sometimes you may tell a little lie to keep someone safe or maybe you know not to hurt their feelings sometimes you can say well surely lying's not all that bad you can do good with through lying what's the big deal of lying i'm not telling a big red lie am i just a small little white one but yet what does the word of god say john 8 verse 44 
You are the father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. When we lie, essentially we're copying Satan. When we lie, we're taking a leaf out of his book. When we lie, we're actually pleasing Satan, doing something what he loves, because there's no truth in Satan. There's just lie after lie. doesn't matter which one you're saying. A lie is a lie, and a sin is a sin. And it doesn't get any better than that. A liar's end is not a great end. Revelation 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderous, sexually immoral, sorceress, idolatrous. What a list. It's not a nice group of people to be in. But yet the list also includes, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It's scary to think that lies on that list. Lies are a big deal to God. Uh, to First Timothy 1 verse 9 to 10. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, and also for liars. And if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Sin is sin, and a lie is a lie. And we need the way of lying removed from us. But praise be to God that when we confess our sins, he is faithful just to forgive us. And also as far as that, what does it say in Mark's favourite chapter, Romans 8? Chapter 8, verse 1. Whereas therefore no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to spirit. And we here who do not cling to dust, we here who are alive in Christ, who have confessed our sins, there is no condemnation for us. There is no condemnation for us. But yet, as Christians, there is perhaps some lies which we say, which can be very damaging to us. If you think about it, one of the worst lies we can do, say is that we're actually doing a lot better spiritually than we really are. We could be spiritually bankrupt, we could be spiritually in despair, but yet someone say, oh, how are you doing? Like, yeah, doing good, doing great. In actual fact, we need to be honest and open with one another and say, I'm in a mess, I'm in an absolute mess, because then... We could come alongside each other, pray for each other, encourage and strengthen each other and build each other up. Because if we don't, ultimately we can become content with our sin and our sinful lifestyle. And sadly, I know that I did for many years until I faced the truth of the mess I was in. And I literally just prostrated myself before God and cried out to him and confessed I declared my ways before him and he heard me and he answered me he forgave me washed me cleansed me he granted his truth to me graciously and now here I am today somehow teaching you all 
But yet, it says here, remove from me the way of life and grant me your law graciously. We all have a choice. Choose the way of lying or choose the way of truth. And what do we seek when we find truth? In verse 30, I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. See, there's a number of things what we find when we seek truth. We actually seek an internal mind frame when we seek truth. We actually seek an internal city when we seek truth. Zechariah 8 verse 3, which says, Thus says the Lord, I will turn to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth. A mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. So when we choose truth, we choose to seek that internal mind frame, that internal mindset. Essentially, we're seeking the millennium kingdom, which is to come. When we choose truth, we choose to wear truth. Everyone knows the armour of God. Ephesians 6, verse 13, 16. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in an evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which you'll be able to quench all the fiery da- uh, darts of the wicked one. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. We can stand because we have wrapped truth around our waist around us to choose truth is to choose adoption into truth uh, when Jesus was before Pilate question, um, he was being questioned by Pilate in John 18 verse 37 Jesus bef- um, said to him uh, or Pilate asking him a question are you the king then Jesus responded you say rightly I am a king for this cause I was born and for this cause I've come into the world. I should bear witness of the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. I mean, you compare that with John 10 verse 27 to 28. My sheep hear my voice. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And my sheep hears my voice. And he knows them. We follow him. As it says in there in John 10, and not in that, but in 28, it says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. What assurance of salvation we have there. Praise the Lord. To choose the way of truth is to become a sheep of God, of the great shepherd, and to become a child of truth. To choose the way of truth is to choose God's agape love one of our favorite chapters first corinthians 13 uh, verse 4 to 7 love suffers long and is kind love does not envy love does not parade itself is not puffed up it does not behave rudely does not seek its own is not provoked thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity but what rejoices in truth it bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things God's sacrificial, unconditional love is truth. To choose the way of truth is to choose God's Holy Spirit. In John 5, 6, 
This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood, and is a spirit who bears witness because the spirit is truth. And that's a capital S speaking of the Holy Spirit. And we agree there's no greater spirit of truth than the Holy Spirit. To choose the way of truth is to choose Jesus himself. What do you say? I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. To choose truth is to choose to conform your heart and life into the way of God's holy word. You see, that's why he got us both from in there in verse 29. Remove from me the way of lying, because the way of lying is Satan's way. And we have to make a conscious effort to choose the way of truth. And when we compare the scriptures, what it says about the way of a lie and the way of truth, which way would you want to go? Only the way of truth, surely. But we need to purpose in our hearts to formalize into the very words of God written down because God's very word is truth. Remove from me the way of lying and grant me your law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies. I cling to your testimonies. We're now here at the same word we started with. At the beginning, the psalmist was clearing nothing but to dust. He was in despair, distraught, just looking at his natural state. But now he's clinging on to Yahweh himself. The new choice makes him not ashamed. I've chosen to cling to your truth, O Lord. I've chosen to cling with you. And I will not be ashamed of my wanderings, habits, or my previous sinful life. I will not be ashamed of my future failures before me. For I am a child of God. And there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I have clung to your testimonies, O Lord. Do not put me to shame. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. I won the way, the course of your holy word, Lord. I will lay aside every weight that ensnares, slows me down and hinders me. I will lay aside every sin that so easily snares me. I'll be looking on to the author and finisher of my faith. And I'll run the, for that race for the imperishable crown. And I'll beat this body of dust into submission of your holy word. I'll run the race that ends in heaven eternal. And I will know inexpressible love. Inexpressible love. I will run the course of your commandments. For you shall enlarge my heart. May our hearts be enlarged by God. So that we can love him more. Praise him more. And worship him more. Verse 25-27 we add our predicament. Can life get any worse than that? And that hopelessness? But then in verse 28, we saw the light. We saw the answer. Strengthen me by your word, O Lord. In verse 29 to 32, we chose the way of truth. Then we stuck to his word. And then we ran the path 
as before us. We have a way to live our lives before God and the way is set before us in his holy word. We have a way. We have a creed to believe in found in God's holy word. And we have a life as an example to follow and to live as set out in God's holy word. We have God's holy word. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you have given us your holy word so that we can fill our lives with it, draw closer to you and choose the truths that are found in it. And Father, we thank you that your word can guide us and teach us, mold us and shape us and help us in any distress or despair we may be in, Lord. Lord, even though we may not think the answers are in there, Lord, you know the answers before we even know them, Lord. And you've given to us through your holy word. Just let us be teachable, that we may understand your word and that our past may be guided by your word. How our past need to be guided by your truth, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you for the creed, what we believe in, which is found within your holy word, Lord. So as we sin our creed now, Lord, our hearts just be filled with worship for you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.